0: Yeah, Hello, I'm Tanya and you're listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Today's episode is the last episode of season three. I cannot believe that we are closing yet another incredible season of the podcast. This season has brought us so many incredible guests, a series on prayer, the launch of the Human and Holy Resource Center and the Tefillah Collection and hours of Torah and Chassidus shared in a digital for that I hope has carried you every week. Thank you for the feedback, support, donations, downloads, and social media shares that have literally carried us through this season. And I'd say most of all, thank you for opening up your heart to each conversation that was shared with you and for co-creating this precious human and holy space together with me. Season four of the podcast launches on the Sunday before you just kiss life, which falls out on November 26th during the six weeks that we will be on a season break. We will still be in your podcast feed every Sunday morning. We are doing something special during this season break, and that is re-airing six of our most popular episodes from the very first season of the podcast. I am so excited about this. If you haven't heard these beloved episodes yet, then you are in for such a treat. And if you've been here for a while, prepare to be re-inspired by some of our most downloaded and shared episodes from the first season of the podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are following Human and Holy. Hit the follow button right now so you don't miss a single episode and especially so you don't miss out on season four, launching right on time for us to celebrate your Kiss life. Thank you again for the most magical season. I can't wait to see you again so soon and to share all the goods we have planned for you in the next year. Today's episode, which is our season finale, is a cozy episode ringing out the season in a very human and holy way. In honor of Sukkot, I hosted three women in my home to discuss our experience of some of the key teachings of Sukkot. What does it mean to build a Sukkah of unity? What does it mean to be hugged by God when we enter the Sukkah? Join us for an intimate conversation about the deeper meaning of this beloved holiday. I'm so excited to have everyone here. This is so much fun. Before we get into what we're going to be doing today, let's start with everyone introducing themselves. I'm Joelle Wolshinsky.
1: I live in New Haven. I'm actually fifth generation from New Haven. I'm first and foremost a mother, a wife, a daughter, a friend, and on the side, I'm a chef. Hi, I'm Shandal Vale. I also live in New
2: Haven. <laughs> I'm a mom of one six-year-old boy who has special needs, who is amazing, we love him. And I'm a preschool teacher, and yeah, I'm excited to be here.
3: Hi, I'm Shauna Green from New Haven as well. I'm a wife, a mother of five children, Kanai I am also a preschool teacher, as well as helping my husband with his jewelry business and working with gemstones to help align
0: people. Awesome. Very cool group of humans here today. And I learned something new about everyone just in those introductions. I'm really excited for us to talk about Sukkis. I was saying before how Sukkis is literally my favorite holiday. It's just so full of so much love and Hashem's embrace and connection with other people, especially after like the intensity of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which are also love, but like love in a different form. It feels really special to come together in the sukkah in this like really joyful, loving way. So like a farangin feels like the best way to honor that, to come together. Like we're not physically in a sukkah yet, but like it feels like that energy of sukkah, you know, just like coming out of our homes, gathering together to just celebrate our Yiddishkeit. The first thing I want to talk about is how the sukkah itself is really considered to be like a vehicle for unity of the Jewish people. And there are a lot of very particular measurements for the sukkah, just like how high the sukkah can be, like how low the sukkah can be. But the one thing that there's no particular measurements for are the breadth and width of the sukkah. Like a sukkah can be as gigantic as you want it to be. It could be as big as the entire neighborhood, as big as the entire state. It could be big enough to fit the entire Jewish people. Because a core principle of sukkahs is just like I was saying, like coming together and gathering in unity with other people, inviting people into our sukkah. We're coming out of our homes to join together with other Jewish people. And we see that like within the measurements of the sukkah, the one thing that is not limited is that size. So my prompt based on that teaching is, have you ever had an experience of unity with people outside of your normal circumstances, outside of your family unit or life within the sukkah itself? Have you either been welcomed into someone else's sukkah in a really profound way or had an experience in your own sukkah that felt like one of really special unity? And if you did, could you tell us about it?
3: When we were living in Harnof in Israel at the beginning of my marriage, we had a really small garden in front of our home and a tiny little sukkah and a tiny little table. And we had just a few bakarim over for a meal. And after the meal, everyone started singing. And what happened was, as they were singing, people heard the singing and started coming to the sukkah. And tons of people just started showing up in our sukkah. And it was tiny, but it was literally packed with people. No one seemed uncomfortable. Everyone was just sitting and enjoying and singing till late in the
1: night. It was pretty beautiful. Oh. Yeah. It's beautiful. I feel like I've had a lot of experiences of unity in the sukkah. Every year I find that we have such a collection of people at any given time that come together, people we've invited, people we haven't invited, people coming together that don't know each other, people who have been longtime friends. Squished together, we have a couch in our sukkah, so people end up almost in each other's laps, passing the food around and pouring each other drinks and putting their arms around each other. There's just really nothing like it. Somehow, when we're all in the sukkah, we're really one. Everyone just makes it work. We pull up another chair, everyone has space for each other next to them in their heart at the table. It just magic happens. It's like the space expands, the walls expand. Yeah, it really does. It really does. It's true.
3: It's funny. I feel like we wouldn't host the same way in our homes. Mm -hmm. The sukkah kind of makes it a relaxed environment where it's like, sure, 20 people want to come into this little cramped area. Sure. Let's just bring out a few more snacks.
2: I actually, well, almost every year so far, Shauna actually makes a sukkah's party at her house Mm -hmm. and opens up her sukkah to the whole New Haven and... It's amazing. I actually did not know that a sukkah could be however wide. That's cool to know. I love that. But Shauna's sukkah last year was so big. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) I loved it. And yeah, you could see the unity. Like everyone came and it was just, it was beautiful. Like the sukkah really does bring people together.
0: Yeah. When we were living in Israel, you mentioned Israel, and I feel like Israel like has that special quality on Sukkot because there's so many Jews all celebrating Sukkot. And we didn't have a porch or any outdoor space that was ours. We had no idea where we were going to build a sukkah. Like, were we just going to like build it on the sidewalk? Like, we Mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. And there was a shul down the block that built a sukkah a few days before Sukkot, and they had a sign outside their sukkah that said, "This sukkah belongs to the entire Nachlaot. Please come and have your meals here." And it wasn't like anyone is invited into this sukkah. It was like, this sukkah belongs to you. It is yours. It is already yours. And we actually did eat all of our meals there. We would bring the food, bring things there. And there were other local Jews who also did it. And everyone was like having their little meals in the sukkah that a real person built and paid for and just made it the Jewish people's sukkah. I don't know who built it. I mean, I know the show that it belonged to, but it was such a special experience of like coming into this sukkah that belonged to God, belonged to all of us. It's very special. I want to talk about how the sukkah in very famous Hasidic teaching or Kabbalistic teaching really is compared to God's embrace, like God literally hugging a person who's sitting in the Sukkah. And the Arizal explains like the intricacies of what that hug looks like. I'll just share one part of it because it's technical. But the minimum amount of walls that a Sukkah could have is two full walls and then one partial wall. So technically, you could have three full walls, four full walls, but that's the minimum amount. And the way that the Arizal explains that, and I'll just show you with my arm, is that from my shoulder to my elbow is one full wall from my elbow to my wrist is another full wall. And then the partial wall is my palm. And when you hug a person with your hand, like you just bring someone in with a hug, it's from the shoulder to the wrist, and like comes around their waist and their back and just embraces them. So that's like the visual of God embracing you not just the Jewish people, but like you, like when you walk into that sukkah, it's literally like an embrace of loving kindness. And another thing that the Arizal says is that the fact that the hug, when you hug someone, you hug them around their back. And a back is a part of a person that is not giving you anything. It's not a beautiful face. can't talk to you. It can't gaze at you. You're giving without getting anything in return. And Hashem's hug on sukkah is that unconditional embrace. I'm hugging your back. You're not giving me anything. You just step in here and you're in my hug. I'm not letting go and you're fully embraced by me. So those two and a half walls representing God's arm and Hashem actually embracing us when we come into the sukkah. It's a gorgeous teaching and I would love to hear what it brings up for you, and if you've ever experienced the feeling of being embraced by Hashem when you were in the Sukkah, what does it even mean to you to be hugged by Hashem and if you have felt hugged on sukkahs, what did that feel like? If you didn't, what are your thoughts about it? I'm just opening the floor
2: So I have thought about the idea of Hashem hugging me before, and I don't know if it is exactly in the same sense that you know we're talking about here in the Sukkah. I wonder if it somehow relates. But to me, you know, Hashem's hug is during the moment where we realize our humanness. When we're trying to do everything, we're trying to do it all, and it just feels overwhelming or scary or just too much, you know, like beyond your capacity. And for me, it's like turning to Hashem and saying, you know, like, I need you. You're my father, my mother, you know, similar to like how a father and mother would give you like a loving embrace in in a moment of weakness where you just need that unconditional love and support. So like Hashem is in that moment hugging and embracing me and saying like, I got you, you know, everything that you're dealing with, I gave to you. I gave you those struggles. I gave you all the tools. I know that you got whatever it takes to do what you need to do and I'm here along the way and... You don't have to worry, you know, mm. put your fears aside, put your worries aside. I'm here. I'm taking care of you. It's like that hug of like
1: letting go, like releasing. Yeah. Every single year, as soon as Sukkot is over, I feel like a certain kind of grief. Like I look at the sukkah or I'm standing in the sukkah and it's just not the same. Even if we still have bottles on the table, mm. the chairs are still there when the holiday ends, it feels like something's been pulled away. And even if we don't feel it at every moment during the holiday, there are always moments or many moments where I do feel Hashem's hug, where I do feel so grateful to have these mitzvot, to have a life of meaning and purpose, and to have people to share it with in a place to share it and to have such a rich life. And to know that we're never alone, that whatever we have in our life is for a reason. Hashem gives us the strength. It's for a purpose. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry so much. We can let go, go along for the ride, trust Hashem, be grateful for what we have. And I do feel that during Sukkot. I really, I do feel it. When the holiday is over and we still have all those feelings and the reality hasn't changed, but something about the holiday going out and the sukkah is just a hut. And I feel it. I can't really explain it. When you describe the arm and how, you
3: know, really described it from the shoulder to the elbow, it just really made it so real in my mind. And not only do I want that so badly, like from God, like obviously he's giving it to me and God is hugging us and holding us, but like to feel that. Like there's nothing I want more. Obviously, we know God is there, and we rely on God, and we turn to God. And even when we think of His presence, we don't really understand His presence. If we did, like maybe we'd be more in awe. Maybe we would act differently. And this description just really makes Him more real. Where He's here, He's literally holding me. It's giving me feelings in my stomach I can't describe. It's it's emotional. Yeah. That's what I want to share about that. Mm.
1: It's not
3: really a lesson as much as like just like a feeling that I'm sharing, I'm having based on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say like a hug, I guess usually I would think of like a hug more like when things are just go so smoothly and like beautifully. That's what I would maybe think of. If someone just said a hug from God, I would think of it as, yeah, a hug is probably when, You just see that things just worked out perfectly. You were a little Mm. worried and it just worked out so smoothly. But now I'm like seeing it like in a different way where he's just really holding you through everything. And it's powerful.
2: I feel in my experience that every single time I am overwhelmed and I do, you know, fall into God's embrace, Hashem's embrace, I get rewarded. At some point soon after Hashem shows me in some way, hey, I got you, you know, things I would never expect. And it's like a reaffirming knowledge that Hashem is there truly and he is taking care of us. And the gratitude and the positive feeling, I think it's a part of that. I don't know. I feel like it's a part of that. It's like the reward for allowing him to embrace you. And he does take care of you and he does give you all the things that you need.
3: Right. It's like receiving the amount that you're able to like open up for, like how big is your Kaylee? you know?
2: I feel like the more you trust in God and the more you give over the power, so to speak, I mean, obviously the power is already in God's hands, but to you, as much as you give the power to him, you allow him into your life. You allow him to then be able to give to you Mm -hmm. in that capacity and take care of you.
1: I think the more we allow ourselves to trust Hashem, the more He's able to prove Himself to be trustworthy. Mm-hmm.
0: I like that. Something that I was thinking, Sean, also when you were describing how Hashem's hug on Sukkot makes you feel, is that in order to experience Hashem's embrace, Hashem is hugging anyone who wants to walk into the sukkah. I have to make the decision to walk into the sukkah and to allow myself to be hugged. And I feel like that's such a critical piece of like actually showing up to be hugged and to be loved and embraced by Hashem and literally to show up to the sukkah.
3: Yeah, and I love that wherever we stand, he's opening himself up to everyone. He's just here no matter what, no matter how you betrayed him the day before or no matter what you did or if you didn't even know him till that day. Even if you don't know him on that day, you walk in, you're getting a huge hug. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Being in the sukkah is one of the two mitzvahs that we do that involves our entire body. It's only mikvah and sukkah where we use our whole body for the mitzvah. And I think that part of the hug is just acknowledging that your being there is what counts. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. You just have to be there and Hashem is with you. It's our existence that brings joy to Hashem. And that's so revealed in Sukkos. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is exist. We don't have to prove ourselves. That's for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the year, maybe, maybe the rest of the year, but Sukkos,
0: we just exist in his hug. Yeah. Even the fact that like on Sukkos, you're just asked to like do as many activities as possible within the sukkah. Like, oh, you're playing a game with your family, do it in the sukkah you're relaxing and reading, do it in the sukkah. The Chabad custom is not to sleep in the sukkah, but other than that, we are also invited to do everything in the sukkah. Joel, just as you were saying, it's like, just be there, just be in my embrace, just be there with me, just show up, just come. Come as you are.
3: I remember the kindness, the kindness of your
0: youth. The love of your bridal days. When you followed me in the
3: desert, in the wilderness, into the unknown,
0: This next teaching I want to share is inspired by Jonathan Sachs, who has a whole beautiful teaching about Sukkahs and how Sukkahs was as much about Hashem protecting the Jewish people as it was about the Jewish people following Hashem into the wilderness. The Sukkah represents the Nane HaKavod, the clouds of glory that Hashem surrounded the Jewish people with when they were in the desert in a time of wilderness and uncertainty. And to commemorate that, we create these huts that are so vulnerable to the weather. We live in a time when our homes are very comfortable. Most of us have AC and heating and like there's sturdy walls and you're protected from the weather. And then we move into these huts for a week where we eat and drink and spend time. And we are extremely vulnerable to the weather, to the rain, to the snow, to the cold, to the heat. It's a temporary dwelling and it's supposed to feel like a temporary dwelling. And paradoxically, it's also Sman Tzimkhaseinu and it's the holiday of joy. So it's like specifically born out of like surrendering to this uncertainty, going out of our perceived stability and comfort and plans. We suddenly are like outside in our backyards, either there's mosquitoes or there's rain or there's snow or whatever climate you live in. And specifically there, we find joy. Have you had that experience where moving out into that place of uncertainty consciously has allowed you to experience more joy? Yes. (laughs) Tell
2: us more. (laughs) I feel like in a way, it's the only way to feel true joy. We have these ideas in our head of the type of life that we want to live or how we want things to turn out. And when you're living life with a prescription Mm -hmm. of prescribed joy, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you're not allowing space for actual moments of joy to come in. But when you let go and allow yourself to just be in the chaos of life, it's obviously not chaos, it's Hashem, but to you, you know, you don't understand everything. And allowing yourself to say, you know what, I don't have any control over any of this. Mm. It's not up to me. It's up to Hashem. The only thing I could do is do my part, do whatever it is that I need to do. You know, Hashem gave me a mission. I have to do my mission. Hashem gave me these skills, put those skills to work as much as possible. And then what happens after that is not up to me. It's up to Hashem. And then you're able to just you know be present be in the moment allow things to happen you have space for joy to come in mm-hmm. you have space for opportunities that you could go towards that you wouldn't necessarily if you were sticking to your perfect prescribed avenue to happiness but letting go and allowing yourself to surrender to that uncertainty allows for space for those things to enter beautifully said
3: Yeah, I feel like you said it all.
2: I feel like it's literally all day. I mean, I'm a mom of a special needs boy. So if I had any expectations of normalcy in my house, Mm -hmm. I would just be constantly frustrated by how things are not going the way that it should be going or Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be going or how I want it to go. And it's just not going to happen. It just won't happen. You know, he does what he does. (laughs) And honestly, like, it's beautiful. It's amazing. He brings us so much joy. And the only way that we are able to experience that joy that Mm. he gives us is by allowing him to just be, just trusting that, you know, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. I'm doing everything that I can. And then the details of how our afternoons look or whatever it is, it's just, it's not important. That's not How it ends up happening is how it's meant to be.
1: So true. It's beautiful. I think when we resolve to do the best we can to show up in the best possible way for ourselves and the people in our lives and for Hashem, and we're able to loosen the grip on the wheel a little bit, Mm -hmm. that's joy. Just keep trying, keep doing our best. That's all that's expected of us. And we can't control the outcome. We can only do our part and trust that Hashem has this and appreciate the nuggets of joy along the way, appreciate the beautiful moments where we see things coming together and enjoy the ride.
3: Sometimes I wonder how people without faith find joy and are mentally sane because When everything's seemingly not going right and there's stress, all I can do is turn to God and know that He's in control and He's doing exactly what He's supposed to be doing. There's something for me to learn here. This is exactly what's supposed to be happening. And I can let go then and lean into joy. And without that, I don't know what I would do.
2: You don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Like, I do my best and God does the rest, like, literally.
2: We can't do it alone.
3: Yeah. And, like, trying to control the outcome is just impossible. But I feel like even if, you know, you do try
2: to control the outcome, and sometimes you're even successful at controlling the outcome, or it looks like that, and then you've created this illusion of joy that is all to your doing. But at any moment, you know, God could decide to to pull the rug out of, out from under you. And then, you know, what are you leaning back on? You know, where does that leave you? So it's not, it might give you a temporary joy, but it's not long-term effective.
3: It's also empowering because if I relied only on myself, on being powerful enough to do everything that I do, I would never, Not never, but I wouldn't jump into half the things that I jumped into because I did, because I trusted that God put this before me because it's for me. And I just went trusting that he will help me through the process and he has something great at the end of it.
1: Such a good point.
3: So it's very empowering. Just to
2: add to what you're saying, I really like it. I feel like that's how it is like with everything in life. The life that we're born into, the family that we're born into. Whatever our future is, it's all mapped out by God, and you don't have to worry about. See this, but you are who you're meant to be. Everything in your life is as it's meant to be, and instead of hurting your brain trying to figure it all out, you can just trust that Hashem put you where you're meant to be, and just embrace that. It's empowering. It's empowering to just know that your life was designed for you by God and you're where you're meant to be, Yeah, doing what you're meant to do.
3: And I feel like the more you embrace the chaos and lean into it, the smoother things
0: go. Yeah. Joel, the wise woman of a large family. (laughs) Tell us more.
3: (laughs) You're
1: one of how many? I'm an only child. Oh, but you're a kid. I rebelled. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Baruch Hashem, I have five. Five children. Five kids, yeah. Thank God. Yeah. I feel like after three, you're like already off the deep end. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Three was really hard for me. Qualify. It's your third? It's my third. <laughs> that, that, that like knocked me on my toches and I never got back up.
2: Oh um, no.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're moving into the No, It's all full good. Time. It's all good. You're like at the top of the roller coaster. Just like put your arms up and go, woo! That's, That's it. It's it. It's you're you're going to be fine. Oh my God. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Uh, life is a mystery. It really is. And we just have to do the best we can and be grateful for everything we have. That's really what it boils down to. There's so much we don't understand. We just have to do the best we can and be grateful and not try to control things too much because it doesn't work. And not only does it not work, but it's really painful. It's really painful to be controlling and try to control how our lives turn out And even worse, how other people in our lives act Mm. and turn out and which direction they go in. You know, as mothers, we're like gardeners. We're not architects. We're not building a building. We have to cultivate the environment. We can't determine the weather. We don't know the richness of the soil. There are so many factors that we're not able to control, but we see what's going on around us, and this needs a little extra water and this needs a little shade. And we do the best we can to cultivate an environment of love that allows things to flourish for our children. We can't control who they're going to be. We can't control how they're going to act. We just have to do the best we can to make it a
0: healthy environment for them to flourish. Totally takes me back, Shandel, to what you were saying about your son, that when you allowed yourself to understand that like you couldn't control how the afternoon was going to look or how your son was going to act. That's when you could find joy in the act of raising him. And just the same as you said, when you surrender to the fact that you don't know what the soil quality is like and what the weather will be like, and you just acknowledge that you always were in a temporary dwelling, you always were just fluctuating and on a journey then that's when you can find the joy throughout it. Because like, if you thought this was supposed to be like an air conditioned ride in a luxury cabin, and then suddenly you're like, no, actually like there's bad weather and like animals I didn't expect and like so many challenges. But like, if you're able to pivot to like, no, it's supposed to be like this. There are mosquitoes in life and there are all of these different things. But like, if I can acknowledge that that's where I'm supposed to be, then that's when I'm going to be able to experience joy along that ride, even if it's bumpy. Also, during
1: COVID, during the quarantine, when everybody was posting these homeschool schedules and all these ideas and things to do, you know, I was making schedules for every day and every day they were not working (laughs) and I was getting so frustrated Mm -hmm. and I felt like such a failure because every day we were making a schedule and every day we weren't following it and it was chaos. And then I realized the schedule itself is setting me up for failure. Mm -hmm. I need to get rid of the schedule and just roll with things and take the temperature in my house, see what's going on, roll with things a little bit. And I actually have some of the best memories of my life with my kids during that time when I let go of expectations completely because the expectations were other people's expectations of what a successful day during COVID was – was not working for us, and it was causing a lot of self-judgment and frustration. I was frustrated at my kids. Why can't you follow this schedule? And frustrated myself. Why can't I enforce this schedule? Mm. But once I totally let go of that, we were actually able to have a really good time and have some really meaningful connection and do things our own way. Yeah, that's where the joy is. <laughs> and you were
2: saying about your children, you know, like having ideas of like what you need to do for them. It's very hard to know what it is that your children need all the time. And The only thing we could do is give a little here, give a little there, wherever we see that we need, where it's needed. And then the best part is just sitting back and watching them grow. You know, you get to watch them. They're flowers. They're going to grow, do their own thing. You know, they're not only you and your work, they're their own person and you get to enjoy it. That's where the joy is. You're not trying to control the outcome. You're just watching the
0: child be what it is (laughs) nice
1: absolutely and you can't turn a rose into a sunflower if you have a rose you want it to be the best possible rose it can be and that's how it is with our kids we just want them to be the best versions of themselves we're not trying to change them and have them
0: become something they're not at least we shouldn't be that's so beautiful because it changes the whole perspective to one of discovery moving away from control and into uncertainty. And then suddenly there's room for discovery, not just of your children, but of your environment and of your life circumstances. It's like, what beauty is there here that I didn't know I was going to get to have because I was so busy painting my own picture of how life was going to look. That's what I was saying before about the opportunities that open up
2: because when you're so busy, like making a plan for yourself, Mm. You're closing off all these opportunities that could potentially give you joy because, you know, you have your own idea of what joy is. But the second you let go of that version of joy and you just allow life to just be and happen, then you all of a sudden like see the possibilities around you. You get to participate in things you wouldn't necessarily participate in. And that's where the magic is. <laughs> you know, like that's where you have connections with people. That's where you feel gratitude for things that you weren't paying attention to. Nice. That was so
0: beautiful. I loved hearing everyone's thoughts on that one because it's like so real to life. Let's end off with this, which is what is something that you do or that your family does on Sukkot to try to make it a meaningful experience?
3: So specifically the little vaneserog, like shaking it, that's obviously it's a mitzvah and we're supposed to do it, but it's something that I consciously really also want to do. That's very meaningful for me. And also just inviting everyone to my sukkah, having the party. It's like so important to, well, specifically really my husband, even if we're away for like most of sukkahs, but we're home for like Chalmur, he will build the sukkah just for that and not one little sukkah so he could eat his meals. He builds it big enough to host his party and it's important that he has it and everyone comes and it's
1: like important for us. I love that. Every year we get the whole family involved in building the sukkah. My kids, from the time they can start climbing up a ladder, we basically let them and we give them tools and everybody gets involved. We bring a speaker outside and we blast music And my kids get involved in the menu. We talk about what we're going to cook and they help me cook. And they help my husband build the sukkah and we do everything together and the kids get really excited about it. So that's what's special for us when we prepare. I love that.
0: Building the sukkah together.
1: Yeah. It's such a beautiful sight. It's like, it's just such nachas to watch and to see their, like the excitement that they have and... Working together, you know, like they're helping each other out. Like, careful, that's dangerous. Yeah, Let me help you. I'm going to hold that. That's really precious. It's wonderful.
3: Yeah. It's definitely a childhood memory for me that sticks out is helping my father build the sukkah. Absolutely. Like the best time.
2: We've only made a couple sukkahs so far. We've in the past gone to family mostly. So I feel like this is like a new era for us where we're starting to like make sukkahs for our own. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm just gathering inspiration here for ways <laughs> that I could make it meaningful. But something I've always imagined that I would love to do, which is not so chabad-like, but I love the idea of decorating the sukkah. Like even if it's not decorating completely, it's just like the idea of putting couches in there, mm-hmm. making it a space that's warm and welcome. And I love that idea.
1: We've also really made it our own. My husband's very creative. With how we set up the sukkah and it changes a little bit every year. We have an opening to our backyard so we can see the kids playing. It gets wide open to the yard and we have lattice on one side so you can kind of see people coming in and that makes it feel really open and it's really beautiful. I think the first year that we lived here we bought all the supplies and we had a big plan to build the sukkah. And last minute, like very, very last minute, we're talking like in the last hour before Yantif, the sukkah did not work out and it was a big panic. But we had all the supplies and we left everything out on the grass and we got a pop-up sukkah that year. And the whole thing was, you know, we were pretty depressed about not being able to use the supplies to make the sukkah that we wanted. So we ended up leaving the boards there for a couple of weeks, even after sukkah. So we just didn't get to putting everything away. And by the time we put everything away, one of the boards had completely warped and it was like a half circle. Mm. And we used that to build our sukkah next year. We had a rounded corner, which was magical. It was so beautiful. And everybody was asking about it, like, where did you get that? We made it part of our sukkah and it was so beautiful. And actually a few years later, we had a handyman that came to the house who was helping us with some things in the garage. And we asked him to build some kind of contraption with bungees to keep our suka supplies against the wall and he came out huffing and puffing like a few hours later and he said you had this rounded board that I worked really hard to straighten but I finally got it straight and it's all put away and we were like no <laughs> yeah there goes your rounded corner yeah <laughs> that's so sad
2: one thing that I do feel when I I enter the sukkah is that I feel like part of the Jewish nation, you know, like just a child of Hashem, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, you just walk into the sukkah and you're like, you belong, like, I feel like I belong there. You know, Mm. I belong, I'm there, I'm with everyone, everyone else is sitting in their own sukkahs, God is on top watching
1: us, you know, like, I don't know, it's just
2: that feeling that you're a part of, you know, a nation.
1: I also like doing Mifzayim on Sukkot. I feel like it's the most heartfelt Mifzayim for me because it's about Jewish unity. You know, like the Lula of an Esrog. He's like, this is Jewish unity. That's what this is about. And it resonates so deeply with me. And I feel like it's just like, who could say no to that? Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. I
0: love that. I love that. The reason why we're going out to connect other Jews to mitzvahs is because you believe that we're all equally connected to each other and to Hashem. So that is so beautiful.
1: And also like telling people like specifically because you don't know anything and you don't do anything and you think you're a bad Jew, you specifically belong here and we can't do this without you. It doesn't matter. You know, you think you're, but no, you're just as important as everybody else. Yeah. I'm really excited for Sukkis.
0: Yeah, this was amazing. <laughs> this was amazing. Yeah. We should do this before every holiday. Thank you all for bringing the joy, the unity, the reflections on Sukkis. I really enjoyed that. Like, I feel so uplifted, so excited for Sukkis coming up. Can't come soon enough. And I'm like, I just want to live in the Sukk all year long, you know? The Lord will be able be Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to us. It helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and thanks for supporting our show. This episode was the last of season three. Over the next six weeks, we will be re-airing some of our most popular episodes from the first season of the podcast. We will be back for season four on Sunday, November 26th, right on time to celebrate Yuta's Kiss Life. If you haven't yet, make sure to hit the follow button so you don't miss a single episode of the podcast or the launch of season four. Thanks for being a part of our human and holy community, and I look forward to speaking with you so soon soon.